Get the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. If you're like most people, you enjoy getting away for some solitude every now and then. But would you enjoy that feeling of isolation if it were permanent? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals how the Apostle Paul dealt with the loneliness of solitude and what you can learn from his experience. To introduce today's message, Disconnection, the Fear of Being Alone. Here's David. You know, this is really a problem right now because of COVID. Um, People feeling isolated, uh, no longer have social uh, interaction. This is especially true for children. One of the reasons why we have worked so diligently to get our school open and keep it open is because we understand the damage that's being done to so many children because they can't go to school. And the being alone thing, which is something we deal with at one time or another in all of our lives, is it's an epidemic right now. And many people say it's as serious or maybe more serious than COVID-19. So what do you do when you feel alone? What do you do when you feel disconnected? Believe it or not, there's some truth in the Word of God that speaks to this issue. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. So get your Bible and be ready to underline some things, make a few notes, and we'll get started in just a moment. We have a study guide for this series. We'd love to send it to you. It has all of the notes and outlines for every one of the messages you're listening to. It's beautifully bound in a um, perf binding with incredible cover, um, beautiful four-color cover. It has notes and outlines. It has application questions, other verses for you to look up that go along with our study. It's kind of a good little curriculum piece. If you want to get really serious about following us and studying the Word of God with us, the study guides are really an important asset. You can find out about them at davidjeremiah.org. We also like to suggest that if you're in a small group and you're looking for curriculum and you want to study something right from the Bible, these uh, study guides are great little manuals for everybody in the group to have. You as the leader can listen to the CDs. Uh, If there's other resources to help you with this, we, we will let you know. But you can move through a lot of biblical material using the study guides from Turning Point. Ask about it when you call or write, and uh, we'll make all of this information available to you, most of it readily available on davidjeremiah.org. Well, today we begin a two-part discussion on disconnection, the fear of being alone. Actress Anne Hathaway confessed that loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anybody to care for or someone who will care for me. And Josh Whedon, who's the director of The Avengers, says that loneliness is about the scariest thing in the whole world. Disconnectedness is the only way to describe a world where most people live in impersonal cities or suburbs, where the internet replaces face-to-face conversation, 
where the average job lasts only two years, where people go from marriage to marriage and from state to state. In case you wonder if we really are in a disconnected world, here are just a smattering of statistics to help make the point. The statistical gurus tell us that by 2009, adults in North America were spending an average of 12 hours online per week, which was double that of 2005, and now it's way higher than it was in 2009. By the beginning of 2009, the average American cell phone user was sending and receiving 400 texts a month. The average American teenager was receiving 2,272 texts a month. If you don't have a teenager, you probably don't believe that. But if you have a teenager, you believe it right away. And it's true that more people are living alone today. This really kind of surprised me. In 1950, less than 10% of the American households were just one person. But by 2010, 27% of the households in America had just one person. The Los Angeles Times reported on a new and growing fear and phobia that is part of our disconnectedness. This fear is called nomophobia. Have you heard of it? It's the fear of being without your phone. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I didn't make this up. This is true. (laughs) There is a fear that people have of not having their phone. You see, the problem that we have in our culture today is that technology promises the comfort of connection without the demands of intimacy. And it never keeps its promise. As we read our Bibles, we discover that this connection is the first thing in the Bible that God said, this is not good. Isn't that interesting? In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. The first man who ever lived on planet Earth suffered the pain of being alone. And the Bible tells us the stories of many others along the way. I think of Noah, who preached for 120 years, and not one person was converted to the gospel. He and his family alone were saved through the flood. I think of Hagar, who got into domestic difficulty and ended up in the desert. And if you ever read that story, that's about the loneliest story you could ever read. She's all by herself. I think of Abraham trudging up the mountain with Isaac, knowing that God has called him to sacrifice his own son, and he doesn't understand it. Can you imagine the loneliness in his heart? David also experienced a great deal of disconnectedness, but he not only experienced it, he expressed it. And if you read through the Psalms, don't be surprised to discover David just kind of blurting out his loneliness on occasion. Here are two expressions. Psalm 102, 6 and 7, David writes, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake and I am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. And in what I believe is the loneliest verse of the Bible, Psalm 142 and verse 4, David says, look on my right hand and see For there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. 
The Bible doesn't try to ignore the problem of being alone. If God recognized it right out of the beginning of the book of Genesis, and we see it illustrated throughout the Old Testament, we should not be surprised to discover it both in the New Testament and then also in our own lives. If I had to choose the person who illustrates what it means to be disconnected more than anyone else in the Bible, it would be the Apostle Paul. That might surprise you because as you read Paul's letters and as you learn about him in the Bible, you discover that Paul was a real people person. I'm always amazed that Paul carried on such a vigorous life and such an incredible schedule, and yet he knew so many people by name. In the book of Romans, for instance, he mentions 35 different people by their names, having known them and known something about them. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the fourth chapter, he mentions 17 people by name. And if you go back to the first chapter, he adds another two. So here in this little four-chapter letter, he mentions 19 people by name. And so we know that Paul is not just a recluse. He's not just somebody who doesn't like people and therefore he experiences loneliness. No, he was a very relational person. But when we meet him in the fourth chapter of the book of 2 Timothy, we meet a lonely man. And we begin by understanding something of the disconnection of isolation. Paul has been charged with sedition. He's come before Caesar and he's been sentenced to prison. It was not his first time to be in prison. As you know, Paul had a reputation of going into a city and preaching in the synagogue. And either, if you wanted to find Paul, he would either be in the synagogue or in prison. He was in one of two places because he always was in trouble. But he's in prison now. And here are his words from the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, describing the fact to Timothy that he knows his time is limited, that he is just about at the end of his journey. He writes in verse 6, the time of my departure is at hand. He's not talking about leaving Rome. He's talking about the fact that he's near his death. He goes on to describe it as being an offering that's being poured out on a sacrifice. Paul knows he only has a few days left before the sentence is carried out. As he wrote 2 Timothy, Paul knew that he was about to die, and as he waited for his execution, he was disconnected and alone. He was, as we learn from history, incarcerated in the Mamertine prison in Rome. When we were in Rome some years ago, Don and I visited the place where this prison is, and a prison is a difficult way to describe it. It's more like a manhole cover, <laughs> and you remove the cover, and down in this big, long hole is this prison where Paul spent his last days. The prison was entered by putting ropes underneath the prisoner's arms and letting him down into the hole, and when his feet touched the bottom, they pulled the ropes back up. We know that Paul was stripped naked before this and left then ultimately with only his tunic, there was very little food available. The prison itself was a foul place. Sanitation was unknown. He had a little straw bed that was made there for him. I don't want to tell you all of the gross things about that prison. One thing I will tell you is that it was true 
that oftentimes prisoners were eaten by rats while they were there. That's where he was, in the Mamertine prison. And he was isolated and alone. This man who loved people, who knew so many of them by name, spending his last days all alone. And he illustrates the disconnection that we have in our culture today. We live in a lonely world. Did you know that? Perhaps at the top of the list of disconnection is what we go through when divorce happens. Divorce maybe is at the top of the list. Nothing so isolates a person like going through the breakup of a marriage. Women have told me of the total break that happens when her husband leaves and with him all of his friends and family and support system that she had given herself to in their marriage and it's gone. One woman told me that she had never felt so alone in her whole life as she did during the days that followed the ending of her marriage. And military families know about isolation. When a military family loses one of their children to the war, they often are for weeks without any record at all about what's happened to them. Sometimes they're not allowed to communicate for a period of time. There is in physics what is called the second law of thermodynamics. Do you know about this law? It's called the law of entropy. It states that things that are isolated move toward deterioration. And the entropy operates in the spiritual realm as well as the physical. Christians who are isolated from other Christians move toward deterioration as well. It is not good that man should be alone. Sometimes disconnectedness is just isolation. Here's Paul isolated in this prison. But if you read the record here in the fourth chapter, you will discover even more. For he's not just experiencing the disconnection of isolation, but he's also experiencing a different kind of aloneness, a different kind of being disconnected, which I have preferred to call the disconnection of infidelity. If you read through the last verses of 2 Timothy 4, it's like reading a litany of desertion and departure. Of the 17 friends that Paul mentions, six are simply mentioned as being in another place. Look down at your Bibles, and you will notice that Crescens is in Galatia, Titus is in Dalmatia, Tychicus is in Ephesus, Carpus is in Troas, Erastus is in Corinth, and Trophimus is in Miletus. Why did I read all of those names and where they are? Simply to say that they're not with Paul. These are his friends. He calls them by name. They have been with him for a period of time, but they're not with him now. Of the 17 friends, six of them are just somewhere else without explanation. Actually, two of Paul's Asian friends had defected earlier, according to chapter 1. In chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, we read, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. And when you come to the 10th verse of the 4th chapter of 2 Timothy, you are introduced to a man by the name of Demas. For Demas has forsaken me, said Paul, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Now we are often tempted to demonize Demas, but he did not necessarily depart from his faith. He departed from Paul. 
And apparently when Paul was put into prison, Demas, who had been one of his close associates, didn't want any part of this kind of intensity in his Christian experience. He wanted a more convenient and comfortable and less threatening kind of Christianity. And so he left Paul and he went to a safer place in Thessalonica. But his departure was very painful for the apostle. Apparently Paul had discipled Demas, perhaps spent hours building into his life, thought he was a trusted friend and disciple who would stay with him through thick and thin. But when the pressure was on, Demas went for the high country. And Paul said he forsook him. And Demas wasn't the only one. For if you look at the 16th verse of the fourth chapter, you continue to build the case for Paul's loneliness. He said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. We experience sometimes the disconnection of isolation. Some of you know what Paul was going through. Somebody you trusted, somebody you believed in, somebody you cared about, somebody in whose life you have spent hours building, walks away and leaves you with no explanation. Isn't it true that sometimes the people we feel like we're closest to can end up hurting us the worst? And then Paul said there was one more thing that added to his absolute total disconnectedness in prison. And that's what I've called the disconnection of interference. Notice verses 14 and 15 where we meet this guy named Alexander. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. Now we don't know much about Alexander. We're not even really sure which Alexander this is. There are a number of them in the Bible. We do know he's a coppersmith, but the Bible says he did much harm to Paul. Actually, the sentence reads like this. He informed many evil things against me. And most scholars believe that what happened with Alexander was he turned to be a Judas against Paul. Just like Judas had betrayed the Lord Jesus, Alexander gave Paul away to the authorities and made it necessary for them to come and get Paul, and that's why he was rearrested for the second time and put in prison. But Paul seems to be more concerned not about what Alexander did, but by what he was saying. Apparently, Alexander was not believing the truth and accepting the words of the gospel, and Paul describes him as being a very dangerous man who has interfered with the gospel and he says to Timothy, don't get involved with him. He's not somebody you want to hang out with. Look back over this and you will see that here is a disappointed man. This is not the way you want Paul's life to end. This man who has given us the New Testament in many respects, so much of it, this man who was the great missionary evangelist who established churches all over Asia Minor, this man who many think was the greatest man who walked on this earth apart from the earthly walk of Jesus Christ, is ending his life in a foul dungeon, bereft of friends, and being treated as an enemy by Alexander. Disappointment with others is part of the loneliness we face in our culture. And it goes with leadership, whether you know it or not. It's hard sometimes, but it's part of the calling. 
Somebody said, you cannot worry about what others do. You can only stay focused on not deserting the Lord and yourself. I remember reading this comment by A.B. Simpson, who said, often the crowd does not recognize a leader until he is gone, and then they build a monument for him with the same stones they threw at him during his life. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) It can happen. So how do we help ourselves when we find ourselves in a similar situation, obviously not with the same outward circumstances, but with the same inward disconnectedness in our life? What clues can we figure out from this passage? And I'm pretty excited about this because it's interesting to me that this book we call our Bible is one of the most practical books you will ever read. And if you just read it carefully, you will find things there that just amaze you. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we have painted the picture of where Paul is. Now, let's notice what he did about his situation. And in doing this, we discover four things about being disconnected that we can transfer into our own lives. In verses 9, 11, and 21, we learn that Paul is putting out an alert. He is saying, we need companionship when we're alone. Listen to his words. Be diligent to come to me, Timothy. Come quickly. Get Mark and bring him with you. Verse 21, do your utmost to get here before winter. Paul is considered, as I've mentioned, by most scholars to be the greatest man to have walked on this earth apart from Christ. But here he is disconnected and alone and begging his friends to come to him and to come quickly. Paul encouraged Timothy to bring Mark with him, the same Mark who had also once deserted Paul but had now been restored. Paul missed him and wanted to see him again. Most of all, Paul wanted to be with Timothy, and he urges him to come quickly, and he says, get here before winter, because Paul knew that he would not survive the winter and that once winter came, Timothy would not be able to get through to him. I bring this up only because I've run into more people in my life as a pastor than you can imagine who say pious things like this. Oh, pastor, I don't need anybody. I just have God. That's not true. You do need people. God does his best work through people. And God has designed men and women that we have fellowship with one another And he requires us to be in relationships with others so that we can grow and so that we can be prepared to face the challenges of life. It is true that we need moments of solitude, but God has not created us to live life by ourselves. It is not good that man should be alone. And Paul recognizes this, and he cries out for his companions He's unwilling to spend these last days all by himself with just Luke as his companion. And he says, Timothy, I want you to get here as quickly as you can. Bring Mark with you and try to get here before winter. The Bible is filled with reminders of the truth that people need people. And here in our church, we are discovering that one of the greatest pathways to spiritual growth is through small groups. The reason why we are so given to this wonderful, wonderful methodology is that it brings people together in small groups where they can be an encouragement to one another and help one another through the vicissitudes of life. Amen. 
So we began by talking about the small group curriculum, and we end by talking about the power of being in a small group. Maybe there's a message in there for all of us today. Maybe there's something you should be doing or thinking about in terms of uh, sharing yourself with others and uh, being blessed by others. You know, during the COVID-19 pandemic here at Shadow Mountain, we've had to do most of our small groups uh, by Zooming, but we haven't lost anybody. In fact, we've picked up members all over the country and in some other countries who are in our small group uh, curriculum now, and they're studying with people here, interacting with one another. I don't want to see that happen inevitably, but that's a good thing to be able to do while you're waiting for them to let you come back and do it the other way. We do miss being with others, and hopefully we're on the road to recovery so that that can return. Well, uh, thank you again for listening today. If you haven't already noticed, Turning Point is on the move. We're making Um, some wonderful decisions, adding some new facilities. I want to tell you about two weekend facilities that now carry Turning Point. One is Newsmax TV. Just added that recently. We're on Newsmax at 9 a.m. every Sunday, and we're on the Fox Business Network at 12.30 p.m. every Sunday. That's Eastern Time. So you can find us on these two powerful uh, networks uh, with the gospel. Uh, we believe we have the opportunity to reach into the world that does not normally get religious teaching and share the Word of God. It's a tremendous privilege, and thank you for helping us do it. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, What Are You Afraid Of? Please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely and encouraging new book, Hope, Living Fearlessly in a Scary World. Stop letting fear hold you back. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, What Are You Afraid Of? here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, 
Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. There is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be? If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. 